Welcome to The Art of You, an artistic approach to crafting a meaningful life. Hosted by Joel Judowitz and Ethan Davidson. Everything in heaven and earth. <clears throat> so Rabbi Bloch starts off by quoting a verse from the, uh, from the Bible, from Tanakh. Everything is in heaven and in earth. Must understand that's his style. He's going to start off with an enigmatic verse or a uh, quote from our sages, and then he's going to explore philosophy and thought and life, and eventually get back to understanding that verse on a deeper level, which is a really nice, beautiful angle too. Schar mitzvah ba'elam hazeh. The topic here is the reward for a mitzvah for a good deed in this world. The creations in this world have roots in upper worlds. So this is based on the idea that the physical world that we see is really just the foot of creation. It's the very lowest rung or the most superficial rung in a very deep onion of levels of levels of spiritual reality, which our physical reality is rooted in. Sometimes I think about that even from the scientific standpoint where we experience the very surface of physical reality. We don't have experience, you know, we don't look at reality in an atomic, we don't see atoms hopping around and the electrons and neutrons. So we see things from a superficial standpoint, from just experiential standpoint, right. what our senses right. pick mm -hmm. up. But reality is much deeper than that. And it also occurred to me... Um, even in terms of any experience, like you look at a bridge, mm -hmm. right? So what do you see? The Golden Gate Bridge. I'm an artist. I look at it as a beautiful bridge. You might look at it as inspiration for music. An engineer looks at it as an engineering marvel. Um, a child might say that's really big. He experiences the size more than anything else. And uh, someone who's traveling might say that's, that's a big source of traffic. You know, I get stuck on that every single day. Right. So reality itself ex is experienced on many different levels. And the same thing with spiritual reality. And that's really what he's going to get into where the, the how would I explain it, the parable between physical and spiritual is reflected in the physical itself. The same way in physical reality we see layers and deeper and deeper layers, some of which we have no physical connection to, like atomic layers where we don't, we don't understand them or experience them, we just live them. The same thing, there are layers in spirituality and uh, in the spiritual world, but even more so and even more distant. Uh, another angle is uh, just the size, the fact that we live on Earth and there's such massive galaxies and universe that we know about, which we really don't have anything to do with, right. really, as far as you know, most of us. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but they're there and they're part of life. And the theory, the idea is that what we do in this world, in this superficial physical world, the actions and choices that we make have profound impacts throughout all the different aspects, angles, and experiences of, of the world. So we can think about uh, the, um, that world, the higher spiritual realms, as, uh, well, let me put it this way, we can think about our lower spiritual realms as being somehow uh, sort of compressions, if you will, of higher spiritual realms, right? Yes, uh, it's going through different levels to come down to us, and every time it gets a little bit more uh, 
I'm thinking about it because we're uh, recording stuff here and you need to think about compression of files. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> it's See, like a the, musician always thinks right. from a musician angle. <laughs> exactly. Right. But then, and then uh, but what we do in this um, compressed, let's say, lower world has an effect all the way back up through the more expanded uh, spiritual realms. Yeah, that's very cool. I like the concept. And the word compression is a very specific word. And he's going to discuss that also. In other words, is it a compression? Is it a reflection? Compression versus reflection, I think, is is going to be one of the themes of what he's trying to analyze. Mm -hmm. The physical world is just a... uh, representation is it a a parable for a spiritual world or compression is a much stronger word because that means it's all there Mm -hmm. but in a compressed state in Mm -hmm. a different state and that's a more that's a much more powerful experience you're not experiencing something different you're not experiencing uh you know a representation of something else you're actually experiencing the thing itself Mm -hmm. but in a different manner that's a really cool way of of uh getting to it but let's see how he gets there okay so he starts off with a verse, another verse. Altira Avram, do not be afraid, Abraham. Anoichi mogen lecha, I will protect you. So God says to Abraham in Bereshis, so in Genesis 15:1, God says to Abraham, "Don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. I'm on your side. I'm I'm going to be there for you. I have your back." What was Abraham so afraid about that God was reassuring him? So Isa ben Medrash. It says in the Medrash, in the, the Jewish sages, the, the oral commentary, the traditional commentary on the Bible. Rabbanan Amri, and the rabbis said, Our father Abraham was afraid. He was fearful. He was saying, The tradition is that Abraham was thrown into a fiery furnace. When he came out with this idea that there's one God, it wasn't exactly... Um, met with, uh, you know, with cheering squads. It was more like firing squads. They were really, really upset about it. Specifically, the leaders at the time who Mm -hmm. considered themselves to be God. This is a political rebellion. You're not God. There's a different God, and we can't see him, so who are you? So they throw him into the right solve The simple solution, just throw him in the fire. The King Nimrod, who's uh, trying to make a name for himself to be a God, like a God, he says, no, there's not, I've got to get rid of this guy. I've got to throw him in the furnace. Exactly. So he has to destroy the idea of someone saying that you're not God, actually, there's a different God. If you try to get back to the roots of anti-Semitism, I would say this is actually the first anti-Semitic incident in history, if you think about it that way. Sure. And it's interesting because very often we analyze anti-Semitism. What's it all about? Mm-hmm. You know, especially in light of recent events, what's, what's the deal um, with Pittsburgh, I'm right. saying, what happened right. not too long ago. Right. So, so what's the root of anti-Semitism? And the way, if you go, you know, one way to analyze the root is to go back to the first incident. Mm-hmm. And the first incident was this, um, this interaction between Abraham and Nimrod. And Abraham saying, there is a God and it's not you. And Nimrod saying, no, I'm the, I'm, there's nothing more than myself. Right. And in some ways, Judaism is that reminder that there is a God in this world and it's not you. It's not you. There's a greater power. There's a higher power. And that's a very uh, threatening message, maybe, mm-hmm. for some people. Mm-hmm. There's more than the physical world. It's not all here. And uh, there is a higher power, and it's not you. It's right. not you. Just make a difference how strong you are. Strength is not a right. Yeah. And I think that's the first message of Judaism, really. The implied political message is it doesn't make a difference how strong you are, how big your army is. You're not in charge. Right. 
that's an extremely threatening message to some people. And maybe if you go back in time and analyze some of the roots of anti-Semitism, like in the Holocaust in Germany, I think there's there's a relationship there to think about. Okay, so let's uh, hop back in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Abraham talks. He says, amazing things happened to me recently. I went down to the, to the fiery furnace. I was saved. I fought against the kings. So Abraham joined... Um, there was a, a war between the four kings and the five kings, and Abraham joins up and defeats an army himself to save his nephew, Lot, and he was saved. It, he won. I would think that I have already accepted my reward in this world. Whatever reward was set aside for the decisions I made, it's over, because look at these miracles that happened to me. I'm afraid. I'm fearful that in the next world, I'm not going to have anything. I'm going to come there empty. That's what he was afraid of. That's what the Medrash says. So Abraham is afraid because of the um, miracles that he has, uh, let's say, experienced, whatever the right word is, the miracles that have befallen him. He thinks that he has exhausted uh, some well of uh, finite uh, spiritual power from the other realms, right? Exactly. That's what he's afraid of, that, that 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 the well can run dry. Yep, right. right. That's exa- that, That's the, the precise angle of it. He's afraid it's going to run dry. And even as you speak it out, you can already start to sense the question that Rabbi Bloch is going to deal with, the absurdity right. of thinking that a spiritual entity can run dry. What does that mean? So we're going to get there. So God says back to Abraham, Don't be afraid. I'm going to protect you. Everything that I did with you by Lamahaza in this world, Chinam Asisi Amach. I did it for free. There was no charge. That was all on the house. Your reward is waiting in the next world. You got you're gonna have much reward. And that's what it says. That's what it says in the verse. That how great is the reward which is hidden away for those who fear who fear you. So that's the exchange between Abraham and God, as quoted by the sages in the oral tradition, that Abraham is afraid. He says, maybe I used it up, it's over, the well ran dry. And God says back, uh, no, it's okay, don't worry about it. I'm going to protect you, and, and it's all there waiting for you. One thing which strikes me now, just interesting, the language, God's response is, I will protect you. How is that a fitting response for someone who's afraid that maybe I used up my reward? How would you understand? And protecting seems to be preemptive, that I'm going to make sure nothing bad will happen to you, not that I'm going to ensure that I have, you know, your insurance is going right. to pay for this. Don't worry about it. Even right, though you, right. So that's, uh, I what, don't, did what do you think th- about that? What did you say the word uh, that they're translating, that we're translating as protect? Um, Muggain. Muggain. Oh, right. Muggain is the a shield. shield. I am your shield. shield. Right. Muggain Avraham. Right. Right. Yeah. How? So I'm going to... I'm going to protect you. Um, it'd be interesting at some point to see how else we use that, uh, that word term. of muggin, you know, right. um, because as you say, does that mean like, you know, in an insurance kind of way, I will be your uh, guarantor, I will be your mm-hmm. underwriter, you know, that uh, there's no, because um, what eventually I, I think we'll get to is that uh, the, well, the well never runs dry. It doesn't matter, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many miracles are coming? But so I think you know we'll have to understand what that means. As as Hashem says, you know I will be uh, your shield, your protector, your your guarantor. guarantor. Very very interesting. 
Uh, I'll tell you why that's fascinating to me, because there's an, an old question that I heard about many years ago, which I mentioned to you in the past, and you're, uh, you know, you, you've given me food for thought for an answer. So in the Shemona Esrei, in the Jewish prayers, the first blessing we say, Melech Ozer Mashiach Magen, Ozer Mashiach Magen. God is our king, he helps us, he saves us, and he protects us. Right. And then we finish, blessed are you, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you Hashem, Magin Avraham, the shield of Abraham. And the question I asked you is, chronologically, it's out of order, yeah. right? Our king, Ezer, he helps us. That means at the time of the challenge. Mashiach, he saves us from the challenge. The challenge is done. Magin, and he protects us. That would seem to me from oncoming challenges. Right. And that's chronologically out of order. You'd say, first, he protects us. He shields us. The challenge shouldn't come. And then... And then he helps us when we're at the challenge, and then he and um, he saves us from the challenge. So maybe based on what you're saying and what the medrash implies here, mugging doesn't necessarily mean preemptive. Right. Mugging can mean retroactive. Mm-hmm. That God guarantees the same way God guaranteed for Abraham after everything was over that his reward wouldn't get lost. Right. So maybe in Shmonesri it's the same exact guarantee. God tells us we go through things in life, but I'm going to help you as you go through that challenge. I'm going to save you, Mashiach. I'm going to save you from the challenge. Right. You're not going to, you know, you won't get destroyed. You'll yeah. get through it. And Mugain, you're not going to use up your reward. I guarantee you, when you go through that challenge, you'll still be intact after, right. and you'll be you'll be spiritually intact mm-hmm. when you finish with the challenge. Really interesting approach. To yeah. thank you for. I always what? think too about yeah. um, how it seems out of order. I think this is what another thing we were discussing on uh, a previous time that um, you know when you come in front of the king. You don't. It's customary, first of all, to acknowledge uh, that you're uh, in front of a king, and not. Uh, you don't just barge in and say, "Hey, buddy, uh, be my muggin. You know, protect right. me." First of all, you want to say, "My king." Right. Right. You have to acknowledge who you're talking. You're to. talking to the king. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, you're not talking to hey, hey, pal. <laughs> no. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. For sure. Right. So the word melech has to be there first, and it mm-hmm. is there first, mm-hmm. uh, and then. And then acknowledging the next part of it is where it gets a little bit more tricky. But, but like you say, it's also part of acknowledging who you're in front of before you ask. Maybe mugging is more of an active request, be mm-hmm. my shield. Mm-hmm. And first you have to acknowledge God's role in your life before right. you ask that. Exactly. That's another way of looking at it, yeah. Okay, so getting back to Rabbi Bloch. Sure. So, and this is our way of doing it, by the way. We, we tend to go on different... Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> that's it's all okay. good, right? It's part of the Jewish way. Yeah, that's, that's all the fun of it. So Indian Tumua. So Rabbi Bloch says this this whole topic is very strange. It's wondrous. How can one say that Abraham was afraid that maybe I got my reward, which was set aside for the next world? Where did he get it? He got it in this world. So he used up all that spiritual reward and used it up in this world. Because why? He went in the fire and he was saved from the fire. Yara the Malachas Hamalachim and Yitzal. He went. To, he he fought against the kings. He was saved from the war. Avram Avinu Shehiker Esbayer Abraham, our forefather, who recognized God for the first time. Karab B'Shem Hashem. He called out in the name of God. Vaydiyabaylam, and he started the whole thing. The whole creation was made really for waiting for that moment when Abraham would get up and say, "This whole thing is, you know, there's there's an author to this story." Amazing what he accomplished. Vasa Nefashis Lashem. He gathered people in, and he started the whole, the Jewish religion. He started the, the point of everything. 
as it says in the verse, the souls that he made in Choran. So Abraham did outreach. He didn't just walk around and say, I had this epiphany, I'm going to stay on a mountain and meditate. He went out into the world and said, wake up. Abraham would convert the men and Sarah would deal with the women. So he accomplished all these amazing things. Is it possible that through the pleasure and through the benefit of these incidents, he managed to defeat four kings. He saved his nephew. That's it? Everything is gone? He used it all up? Because he had a miracle happen to him? How could you say such a thing? It's really wondrous, Rabbi Bloch says. Doesn't seem to doesn't seem to balance, doesn't seem to be, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't match. And in general, you could ask, how can you pay in this world, a transient world, even whatever you get in here, it doesn't last very long, however, you know, eating a pizza, how long does it take already, right? Mm-hmm. So, how can that use up the reward which is set aside for the spiritual world, which is eternal? How can you compress, using your word, eternity, yeah. into something which is physical? How do you do that? Regarding the word for the next world, it's the reward. It says, Better one moment of pleasure, of, um, you know, of experiencing the next world, from all the pleasures of this world. So take all the pleasures that any human being has ever experienced in history, compress them, and they don't equal to one second of experience of the next world, of spiritual connecting to God in the next world. Right, right. And we know that if, you know, in in order for us to even exist in this, we can't exist in the pure uh, spiritual state of the higher realms, right? In this physical world. Yeah. Well, that's why we're in this physical world, right? Because it's the only way that we can... Uh, you know, if we were if we were uh, in the higher realms, you would get you get into no man sees my face and lives, right? Right. So uh, when you're alive, when you're, when you're alive. physically alive, when you're physically you can't alive. experience exactly. that spirituality. It would so kill you. So we have yeah. to be in this uh, world where infinite things, uh, or let's just say infinity, in the higher spiritual realms has to be compressed or condensed in order for us to even experience it or deal with it. But we have the experience then that these things are finite. In reality, at the higher level, of course, it's infinite, right? right. So that's so. How can your question was how can we, uh, you know, conceive of using these things up in this world? Right. Uh, you know, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that's what he's getting to. If if the reality is that it's endless and and we're just perceiving it at the all the way at the bottom of the chain, how could you use something like that up? How's it going to get used up? It's not like a phone battery that dies. It's much more powerful. So, and he explains that this idea that you can't, you, you know, one second is worth more than everything in the next world. All the pleasures of the world. Forget about historically any pleasure that anyone has ever experienced. Even theoretically, if you took all the theoretical pleasure that would ever be possible to experience in this physical world, it's not worth it's not worth a second. The exchange rate is just impossible. You can't you'll never get out of the bank. The exchange rate's too high. So how could you possibly think that you could exchange and you're gonna use it up 
Avram said, I used it all up. I'm so fearful. And God says, don't worry about it. I protect you. It's going to be okay. What's the, what's the deeper meaning behind this exchange? Another thing we have to understand. How could you exchange the reward for the next world for this world? We know that the reward that's set aside for the righteous in the next world, this is something similar to what you were saying. We have no insight into it at all. We can't, we can't even fathom it. As our sages said, all the prophets didn't prophesize only on things that we can experience and understand on the next things that are going to come up eventually, but 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 when in in terms of the next world, an eye hasn't seen it. No one has really seen that. You can't even imagine it. So how can we possibly use that up in this world? It's impossible. Similar to this, we we find another point. He quotes the Talmud here. Rabbi Babarchana said a story. When Rabbi Lezer got sick, his, his students came to, to visit him. He said to them, There's a very intense judgment and strictness and anger in the world. I know what I'm facing here. I'm up against something very difficult. They started to cry. They realized the Rebbe was saying that there's no way out of this alive. Rabbi Kiva Mesachik, Rabbi Kiva starts laughing. Rabbi Akiva, the famous student, he always has another angle to things. He starts laughing. Amrulai, the other student said to him, What's with you? You're laughing? The rabbi is sick. He's on his deathbed. He's, he's saying, I can't face what's coming. He said to them, Why are you crying? Good Jewish, right? Answer a question with a question. Amrulai, they said to him, After Sefer Torah Shari Bitzar, you see a Torah scroll. Rabbi Lezer was a living Torah scroll. Every word that he said was came out of his mouth was Torah. And it's sitting here in pain. We shouldn't cry. Rabbi Kiva says back to them, That's exactly why I'm laughing. That's why I'm, I'm happy and smiling. I've seen Rabbi, and I've seen him for a while. His wine doesn't turn into vinegar. He has extraordinary luck. His flax doesn't get ruined. His oil doesn't get spoiled. His honey doesn't get ruined. So he has this great uh, lucky streak. Things seem to be going well for him. Martin, I was afraid in my heart. Maybe Rebbe already received his whole reward for the next world. Look how lucky he is. He has the best oil, the best wine. Achshav. Now that I see that he's sick, that he's suffering, I'm happy because I know that he hasn't used it all up. It's going to be still there waiting for him. Right. That's the story. And this is an echo of, of the... Of the Abraham's of Abraham. uh, question. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, even though you see somebody like the like the, the Rav here who is, um, uh, you know, his wine never turns to vinegar. Everything works out. But now Akiva says uh, he has uh, some pain too. It's not possible then that he uh, used everything up. His reward from... Uh, Olam Haba, there's still, you know, we're talking about an infinity that he's going to, uh, you know, come into, right? Right. When he when he when he passes on, his reward is there. He's not. Uh, 
Because he know. hasn't used it all because yeah, he hasn't had a perfect streak right. of luck. So it's right. impossible that he used it all. Yeah. It's also interesting now that you're pointing that out because the implication Rabbi Akiva was saying is even though the rabbi has had such amazing luck, because one bad thing happened to him, he's in pain now, obviously it's still there. It's okay. Right. So if that's true, that makes the question even stronger. What was Abraham so afraid about? He never experienced anything bad in his entire life. Mm. Abraham's afraid, maybe I used it up because I was saved from the kings. I had this experience of going into the fiery furnace. But we see from Rabbi Akiva that even if you had amazing things happen to you, as long as you've also had struggles in your life, you can be reassured that you didn't use it all up yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then what was Abraham afraid of? Unless you say that those things that happened to Abraham, those were miracles. So maybe that's like, Abraham was afraid that, you know, my life was saved. I went into a fiery furnace, I came out. So that's that's much more than just your wine turning out well. Right. Maybe that's right. the angle of it. Right. Okay, Vigam Khan Pelu. Also, in this story, it's amazing. Rabbi Lazar Agadol was an extraordinary righteous person. He didn't miss a single letter of the Torah. He said it about himself. In the Talmud, we find that Rabbi Lazar's hands were compared to the two arms of a Torah scroll, a living Torah scroll. Rabbi Kiva and Rabbi Kiva, his student, Obviously, he understood he was dealing with the greatest of the generation. And certainly, he understood Rabbi Lazar is from these righteous who are included in this verse of the eye has never seen their reward. You can't even fathom their reward. And there are pleasures and amazing eternal, eternal uh, reward that's waiting for him. And Rabbi Akiva can even have such a thought. No, my rabbi used it all up. He has awesome wine and his honey is like super amazing. Because he doesn't have so many worries. Things work out for him. Is it possible with such low, superficial pleasures, ordinary pleasures, you could use up the ultimate reward. Again, the question becomes stronger and stronger. What is this exchange rate, and how could you possibly even think of such a thing? Not only that, the truth is, the truth is the whole thing really is, is wrong because no one has a perfect life. It doesn't make a difference if your wine is going well. Nobody has a perfect. You can't experience anything in this world without some measure of worry and pain. Almost no experience is perfect. Right? Any, anything you have, even um, you go on vacation, right? Sure. and then the plane is late, and then the hotel room is not the yeah. way you wanted it. When do you have a perfect experience? Sure, Almost sure, never. Sure. It doesn't happen. Or you see a guy who seems to have everything... You know, everything goes perfect for him. He drives around in the limousine, whatever, but you don't know that he might be weeping in the middle of the night. Exactly. You know? Right, yeah. right, exactly. Go find me the person who lives in perfect tranquility in this world. Which is filled with challenge and pain. Like the great Musr, the, the ethics book of Mesil HaSisharim says... What really is the life of a person in this world? Who is this person who has had such perfect joy and, and peace in this world? We'll find him. 
The Torah says that our lives, on average, are approximately 70 years. If we're lucky, if we're strong, we get 80 years. And the whole work of our life is working hard and, and struggling. With all different types of struggles and sickness and, and physical, mental, emotional, all different types of challenges. And after that whole procession, what do you get? Hamavas. You die. That's the whole thing. You won't find one out of a thousand. That the world will provide for him true and perfect pleasure and peace. And even that guy, that one guy who's sitting there on the mountain smiling, right? Even if he manages to get to a hundred years, that's it. He's gone. So this world is certainly not an experience of perfect pleasure and happiness. So how could anyone think that Rebelezer, because some things went right for him, in general things went well, financially maybe for him, right? His wine and his things were going well. Rebekiva says, I was so worried that maybe the rabbi used it up. Ah, now that he's sick, now, now I know everything's going to be okay. So the question, that's episode two. We have Abraham, we have Rebekiva. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the, the plot thickens. There's a story about the great sage, the, the writer of the Shagas Ari, the, the, the Shagas Ari literally means the roar of the lion. He wrote this really important uh, book on the Talmud. And they say about him, he became the rabbi in Mitz in Europe. This was going back a while. And his congregation, so they sent him a whole slew of gifts. They come, you know, with gifts in their hands. And he sees his wife, his wife was an incredibly spiritual woman, spiritually sensitive, and she's in pain and she's crying. He said to her, what are you crying? She's afraid, she says, these physical gifts, we're getting involved in physicality, we're getting involved in the hedonism, we're getting these beautiful gifts, maybe we're going to use up our world, the, the real things. I don't want to waste my reward on this. I'm part of our, our partnership for your spiritual growth. I don't want to spend it on this stuff. I'm saving it. The Yigaba and the Shagasari turned to her and he was and he was upset at her on some level. The Yamar and he said to her, You're afraid because we have these beautiful silver vases that you could take away with that a drop of Elam Haba? It was obvious in his eyes. But these types of havels, a new car Something like that. You'll never use that up. It's funny. This reminds me. My grandfather. So he studied in the in the yeshivas in Europe, and the yeshiva that he studied in was called Navarduk. Mm-hmm. The Navarduk yeshiva. They were very uh, strong, very ethically strong, and uh, almost extreme in some instances. They were up against communism. Eventually, sure. they had to be. They had to be very tough. Very, right. very tough. And they trained themselves from a young age to be really uh, tough on themselves and hard on themselves and to be spiritual. And, uh, you know, they would look at things in this world, eh, what is that? What's this? What's that? So we li- we used to, when I grew up, we lived next to a very wealthy neighborhood, really beautiful mansions in, on Long Island. And my father once took him on a tour. And I think my father knew the reaction that he was going to get. He was, doing, <laughs> he was doing it just for fun, kind of. <laughs> But he took him around and he said, look, uh, look, uh, you know, father, look, Tati, look at these beautiful. And my grandfather said, eh, 
<laughs> what is what it? Is you going to take this right. with you? You're going to yeah, take. Exactly. What are you going to do with this? Give me, yeah. give me a Gemara. Give right. me a, a page of the Talmud, and let me get back to business. Do you think <laughs> I have any interest in this at all? And he meant it. He wasn't putting it on. Right. He actually meant it that way, and that's how he survived so many difficult experiences like Siberia and going through the war. Mm-hmm. But uh, to take someone who's a spiritual person who's involved in spirituality and you're going to trade with him and you're going to tell him I'm going to give you a limousine like you said or I'm going to give you he'd laugh at you what do you think that's a joke I'm, I, would, I would never give up a drop of that so how could you possibly think that um, that you're going to trade spirituality for physicality again the question uh, comes back you can imagine a um, let's say there was like a, a you know a king or something like that or there was a, 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 a an important person some kind and they had somebody that was every day bringing them a bucket of water from the ocean, or maybe they were bringing them a, a bucket of dust from the stars or something. And after a while, he says, you know, if you're going to keep bringing it, there's going to be none left. But, right. you know, how are you going to bring every bucket out of the ocean? Right. Or how are you going to bring, you know, all the buckets of dust out of the stars? It's You're talking about an infinite uh, exactly. reservoir, so to speak. Right. So uh, it's the same concern that they're having here, that if we keep getting uh, this... Uh, the pleasures of this life, you know, these gifts, whatever, uh, we're drawing down on our uh, sort of bank account, let's say, uh, in the infinite. Well, it doesn't draw down in that way. Right, right. And what you're saying, and it's also a good point, it's quality and quantity. It's yeah. infinite in both angles. The, the, right? the right. quantity is never going to run out. It's like the ocean. And even the quality, even one drop, like he's quoting, is infinite experience that we would never be able to compare to anything in this world right so one drop of that ocean can't be sold for anything and you have a whole ocean of it so right. what are you afraid of so there's a little um disclaimer he sticks in here you, we have to know in general when it comes to studying the words of the torah sages we can't get to the depths of understanding exactly what they meant always we don't understand the whole heck if the whole, you know, all the angles, all the different ways they were coming at it, and all the details. Still, we have to understand the part that we can understand to the best of our ability. It doesn't excuse us from trying to understand things. And if we analyze these incidents, and they don't make sense to us, we have a question about them. What was Rabbi Kiva afraid about? What was, you know, Abraham afraid about? We can't say, well, you know what? These were great Torah sages. We'll never understand what they were afraid about. That's it. Close the book. He said, no, that's not the right approach when it comes to studying. Uh, we have to try to understand and learn from it the best we can. And through this light, which shines out from their holy words, which we merited to feel. We can, we, we're feeling out that there's something here. If we study that light, we can, we'll, we'll be successful. We'll get somewhere deeper. We can get into the soul and the truth of the matter. And we don't have right to say, we're not going to get the whole thing. So maybe we should twist it. Maybe we should we twist it around and say, Rabbi Kiva didn't mean to say that, or Abraham didn't mean to say this. He said, no, don't take the easy way out face the challenge and try to get deeper and understand what the rabbis were saying and you'll learn something from it you'll get right. you get out of it so the way to say that no they just they didn't mean it that way he said that's not the right approach we see something it bothers us we have to know that yes ultimately we're not going to understand it completely because we're not on that level but we certainly can get out of it
So here comes the, the next part of this. And his, really, he begins his answer and, his, and uh, the approach, what he wants, he's getting to his agenda, what he wanted with all these questions. We've already explained this. We have to get to explore this issue and to solve all these problems, to solve the exchange rate problem. We have to understand what the word reward means in general. What does it mean that you're rewarded for your actions? We know this concept. When you do something good, you get reward. You do something bad, you get a punishment. The reward and punishment concept is all over. We find it in the Bible. We say it every day couple times in the Shema we say that if you do good then this good things will happen you do bad bad things will happen and uh, getting into the, the theology of that is another question because we don't always see that pattern but in general the concept of reward and punishment is very intuitive it's intuitive in the physical world and it's, there's ramifications there's repercussions right to our actions but you have to understand something it's not separate like it is in this world when we think of a reward or punishment, it's a separate thing. You're, you know, I'm a teacher, so you go in the classroom and everyone gets 100 on the test and we get a pizza party. It's not the same thing. The 100 on the test is not the pizza party, two separate entities, right? Or if someone makes trouble in class and there's too much, you know, then he has to get, out he goes. That's just the way it is, right? Two separate things. But that's in this world, but not when it comes to the Torah's version of reward and punishment. El the action itself that a person does, through that action, he creates the world of that person. He creates his own worlds in the upper spheres through his actions. His actions reach there. And through his actions, he brings down an influence of good and blessing into this world. Magia hash by love, and specifically, that 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 um, influence of blessing reaches him. That channel of blessing reaches him. Because a person has a very special private relationship to the world that he creates with his actions. So Nip- a human being then uh, creates his or her own world through um, the things that he makes out of what he's been given by. He or she has been given by God. So then he creates also uh, his what will be his reality in Olam Habad. It'll either be a good creation or it'll be a, a bad creation. So you're sort of, um, it sounds then like you're, if we use the, our bank account metaphor again, you're putting uh, assets into the bank account. They're either going to be good assets or bad assets, right? Is that a, one way to think about what I think so, here? yeah. I think that's that's along the angle that he's saying. But his point also is that it's not separate. It's not separate. The action itself is a creation of a world. Right. The, the good action itself is a creation of the world. Right. It's not a separate entity that I did something good, and therefore someone gave me something good for, as a result. My good deed itself is a creation of, of, of blessing. Right, right. Or, my, or the bad deed on the other side. Right is a creation of, of the opposite of blessing. So that's like the mitzvah, the reward for a mitzvah. Yeah, it's exactly a mitzvah. what he's going to get. He's about to say those words. Yep, okay. exactly. So, Nimsa uh, comes out, The action itself already includes in it the reward and the punishment. According to the action itself, As the famous teaching goes in Perkei which we quoted, the reward for a mitzvah is the mitzvah itself. 
Now that doesn't mean that there's no, you know, God forbid to get distorted from this, that there's no world to come or that the, you know, that's not what it's saying. But it's saying that the mitzvah itself has in it that ultimate goodness, which we will eventually experience. Mm -hmm. The act of the mitzvah itself already includes in it all of that spiritual blessing and, and pleasure. It's there in the act, but we experience it later in the next world in its full state, but it's already there in the act. But it's created and it's an entity, just like a physical entity. And that, that spiritual well that we create, that spiritual light that we create with an action shines for the entire world, the entire universe, and particularly for ourselves. We have a special relationship because we're mm -hmm. the creators of that light. And now he says, I want to say something new, and I think maybe we'll conclude with this sure. for the first section. We're not going to get to, we'll live, this is going to be a cliffhanger. We'll have to leave it at that. So he says, I want to say something new, a novelty, a new thought. When we analyze and think about the holy words of our sages, it appears that it must be, it's true. It's clear and it's true that the reward and punishment that comes to a person in this world, it doesn't come as a payment. It doesn't come as a payment or a substitute for what he's going to get in the world to come. Because this whole idea that we get paid in this world and get paid in the next world, and maybe we got paid back already in this world, this whole concept, it can't be an exchange, it can't be a replacement. Because if that was true, there would be no way to make that exchange, and my questions would all stand. So if you look at the theology here in the simple sense that there's reward in the next world, and Rabbi Kiel was afraid the reward he got in this world would be an exchange, a replacement for the reward. Then it makes no sense. The math doesn't add up. The numbers don't add up. Can't be. Because since they're not comparable, he'll never be able to make, he'll never be able to take enough buckets out of the ocean to make it up. Can't be. So now we know, we know what we don't know. Step one. Mm -hmm. We know that's not the way it works. Can't be that it's a replacement, an exchange rate. That wouldn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. Ella, what must it be? Here's the crux of the whole thing. The schar and einish that a person gets in this world. When a person gets reward in this world, he is literally experiencing the actual thing itself that he's going to experience in the next world. And here was the point of his entire discussion. But on a smaller level. On a different level, yeah. yeah. Maybe like you said, a condensed version mm -hmm, of it. And mm -hmm. he's going to talk about that and explain how is that possible. But it can't be that it's an exchange. If it was an exchange, the math wouldn't add up. It has to be that you're actually getting the thing itself. But now, like you said, this makes it even stronger. What does that mean? The thing itself has condensed into an ice cream cone. Elam Haba has condensed. How is that possible? How does that work? Mm. And, here's, and here's, the, here's the science behind it, the spiritual science. When you lower down that reward from its high sphere, into this physical world, the experience itself becomes clothed in physicality and it becomes minimized, it becomes condensed mm -hmm. and becomes physical. The latest is through us to the Fiza Oilam and it, it gets it, it gets the the appearance of physicality. Well in some sense it becomes finite too. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Somehow you're condensing the infinite into a finite 
experience. Those infinite things themselves. When they're in their natural state, in the upper spheres, they are infinite and they light up the whole universe. They're endless. And the pleasure that's in them, we have no, we can't fathom a tiniest bit of it. Only God himself understands that those very same things themselves, exactly, those very same things, when they eventually make their way down to this world, which is transient, they themselves also get the boundaries of physicality, and they they become physical. And when they become physical, they also get the bitter taste or the bitter limitations of physicality that don't allow them to expand totally. So he has an, a whole novel approach. The idea is that, in some sense, he's saying there's a continuum. It's not two separate worlds. There's a continuum. There's the spiritual world. It's almost like a cone. And we're at the small end of the cone. Mm-hmm. So the light, as it comes into the cone, it's infinite light. But as it becomes into the cone, it gets condensed and it gets directed. And eventually it becomes limited. Right. And we experience it in this physical world in a, lim- in a limited sense. So you can have the same exact experience in a different context, in the spiritual context. When you lose your physical boundaries, you'll experience that as ultimate and endless but if you experience it down here, you'll experience it as an ice cream cone. Right. That's a remarkable concept. We have to think about that a little more. Mm. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank God you. And we'll continue it. Absolutely. And uh, keep rocking and rolling. For sure. Thank you for so sure. much. Thank you for joining us today. We'll see you next time.